I want to welcome you to Northridge Church, man. So grateful that you're here, whether you're you know, joining us from Webster or Greece or Henrietta or Aranaquit, you're part of our online community, um, or you're a guest here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for showing up and, and engaging with us. And one thing I want you to know is, man, you, you were given a program when you walked in. If you're watching online, there's a program online as well. And on the bottom of that program is what we call a connection card. It's really important to our church. It's a place you can take notes. But also, man, if you're a guest, first-time visitor, getting used to Northridge Church, we'd love to hear your thoughts, what you, what you thought about our service, if we were welcoming. So let us know. Fill that out. It's a great way for us to build a relationship together, but if you're a Northridger, and man, you just need to get connected to something, or you have questions about uh, our church, man, that's a great tool. If you fill it out, you got prayer requests, we will pray for you, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Today, we're, we're bringing an end to a series that we've been in for now eight weeks, a series that we're calling Paul, that we've just really looked at this man's life, his struggles, his circumstances, his character. And my prayer is that, man, this series has challenged you as much as it's challenged me. I think through this series in Paul's life, God has opened my eyes to some areas in, in my own personal walk with God that have laxed, have become a little bit apathetic, and God has really moved me in the right direction. And my prayer is that happened for you as well. But here's what we've seen. If you haven't been with us, this is the eighth week, and here's what we've seen. We've looked at this man's life, and this was a guy who claimed, his own word says, I was obsessed with persecuting Christians. This is his whole goal in life, to, to find Christians, to have them murdered or thrown in prison. That's who this guy, Paul, was. But then along the journey on, on trying to persecute Christians, Jesus interrupts his life, he meets him right where he is, and he completely changes his life. He changes his direction, his purpose, his meaning, his mission. And, and his life is completely different. The guy who persecuted Christians is now the leader of Christians, preaching the gospel wherever he goes, reaching the Jewish people and the Gentiles, a guy who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, and a guy who said, I'm following Jesus, you just do the same as I am. And if you go back all the way to weeks one and two, God placed a call on this man's life. Acts chapter nine, we see it, it says this, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. It's kind of been the framework for our series. And here you see two unique things. You see a divine calling. God chose Paul. He, he picked him out of a crowd. He said, that's my man. You see a divine mission to, to go reach the Jewish people and the Gentile people, ultimately the world. But then verse 16 is kind of where we're going to zoom in today. It says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And ultimately what you see in this last verse is the method, the divine method God would use in Paul's life to fulfill the mission and the calling he gave him. And I wonder how many of us, if we knew that was true about our lives, where God said, hey, I'm gonna show her or him how much you must suffer, I must suffer for the name of Jesus. I wonder, I wonder how many of us would volunteer for that calling. We all wanna be Paul, right? Like at some level we're like, man, I would love to be like Paul when I die, but yet we don't wanna suffer like Paul did. Because we, don't, we would never volunteer for that type of calling. But here's what's crazy about this passage and this calling on Paul's life is I don't actually think it's unique to Paul at all. I don't think that, that, that God just picked Paul and said, hey, he's the only one in, in the name of Christianity who's going to suffer. I don't think it's unique to him at all. I actually think it's unique to just Christianity altogether. 
Because we have to understand that suffering is a part of following Jesus. I I wish that wasn't the truth. I wish I could say something differently today, but that's just the reality of following Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus, God's son, suffered for us, and out of his suffering, we follow his example, which therefore means we're going to suffer for the sake and the name of Jesus. If, If you don't believe what I say, Just believe what Jesus said. John chapter 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going to tell you these things so you can experience peace in life. Why are you going to want to cling to peace? Here's why, he says, because in this world you will have trouble. Jesus doesn't avoid the conversation. He doesn't circle around it. He doesn't soft serve it. He says, hey, in this world, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be pain and turmoil. And guess what? You're going to suffer. That is just the truth. And if following Jesus, is, is suffering is tied with that, here's what I want to do this morning. All of us suffer. We all face circumstances and things that we don't want to deal with. And and today, here's where we're going. I want to talk about the two types of suffering that Paul dealt with and that you and I deal with. And I want to answer two really important questions that Paul answers for us on the topic of suffering. So let's start. Two types of suffering, two kinds of suffering. The first one is circumstantial. Circumstantial suffering. This is the type of suffering that is seasonal. You can't plan for it. It can't, doesn't fit in your calendar. It just hits you when you probably least expect it. It's wild and crazy. And we've all experienced circumstantial pain and suffering. It can look as simple as stubbing your toe. Oof, I hate stubbing my toe. It can be as so small as an infection or a cold or flu, or it can get really severe as well. It can be losing your job. Crashing your car, losing somebody you love. We all face these types of things, this type of suffering in our life. And so did Paul. Paul wasn't void of this. In fact, he got an extra dose of it. He actually speaks of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what he says. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Now, yet again, I wonder about my life and your life. How many of us, if we just experienced that, you know, hey, we've worked harder than anybody else. We've been in prison more than anybody else. We've been flogged more severely than anybody else. And oh yeah, death just keeps kind of staying close by. I wonder how many of us experiencing that for the name of Jesus would have quit. Thrown in the towel. I wouldn't blame you. Probably would have been in the same shoes. Like, God, I, I love you. You're great. You're good. You're just not that good. I didn't know the pain would be that severe and that strong. Like, hey, God, this was a good thing we had going, but I'm going to go try something else. And you know the reality? Paul is just getting started. This is the short list. Here he continues, verse 24. He says, five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. To put that in perspective for you, Jesus only got it once. Paul got it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Paul says, everywhere I go, there is danger all around me. 
I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> you read that list and you're just gonna be like, dang. Like who would want to walk through that? Who would want to walk through half of that? That was his reality. That was his life. Suffering was just a part almost of Paul's DNA. And man, you read that and you're like, wow, because in America, if, if we're just real for a second, we won't even come anywhere near suffering really at any cost like that for the sake of the gospel. It's just not our culture and our reality because we have the freedom to gather together. But all of this was a result of Paul just living out his mission. Paul just preaching the gospel. And none of us will ever probably have to face this in America. But you know what I did? I, 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 I thought it was unique. I was looking at Paul's life ever since he started ministry. See, these things happen when he started ministry. And so I, I started looking at my life, like just as a fun list, like, hey, wh what does my life look like when it comes to suffering and pain after I started ministry? Because the first 22 years of my life, the only really suffering, I, mean, I had some things, but I, I broke a bone in my hand. That was it. But from 22 to 33, when I was in ministry, I just kind of did what Paul did. I made this laundry list of things that I have gone through. And, and it started with an appendectomy, simple. We've probably, many of us have experienced this. My appendix, you know, was about to rupture, emergency surgery, they removed it, I was good. I've had the rarest form of E. coli you can have. Thank you very much, Mara Mara. Don't eat the chicken there, it's not good. I've had a, a spontaneous pneumothorax. What that means is my lung collapsed randomly. They put a chest tube in my side, said, you'd be good. A week later, it happened again. So I went to major surgery where they did a thoracotomy with pleurodesis. Simply means they removed a portion of my lung. I have keratocomus. Randomly, no one knows what that means but me because I think I'm the only person who has it. But basically what it means is I had an allergy attack and my, it reshaped my cornea. And so I'm literally blind in this eye. So you guys look great. Oh no. <laughs> I've had skin cancer removed from my stomach. Oh yeah, you wanna to go to week four of the series? You remember Aaron Hickson preached? He wasn't scheduled to preach because I had a bladder and kidney infection that went septic through my body and I thought I was gonna die. My wife and I, we kind of have this running joke going on. Every two years, I'm, I'm pretty good for like a life-threatening issue. That's rare and random. And you know what's interesting is like, you look at my list and, and for some of you, my list is really small. Cause you're like, wow, I, I wish I could have that list or you should hear mine. And, and you compare my list to Paul's and I'm like, I'll take mine any day. But we all suffer from circumstantial things. We, we walk through things that God brings our way and we have to deal with the pain. That's the first kind of suffering. Second is what I like to call chronic suffering. This is almost the opposite of circumstantial because you can plan for it, you can put it in your calendar because it's a regular rhythm in your life. It's consistent. It's there day after day, month after month, year after year. It's chronic. Paul also dealt with this type of pain. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about it. Chapter 12, verse seven, he says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And so here Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh, this daily reminder, this daily pain 
that would just bothered him, it tormented him. And many scholars have kind of guessed at what this was in Paul's life, but no one really has any clue. All we know is that he had a daily chronic pain in his life. And maybe you can relate because you deal with pain that shows up every day. In fact, tomorrow you know it's gonna be there. And maybe it stems from a learning disability where you realize, man, you don't feel like you measure up to everybody else and that causes pain in your life. Maybe it's a particular sin struggle where you have same-sex attraction, or you deal with anger, or you, you have a substance abuse, you're addicted to it. Or maybe it's a, a disability. Maybe it's autism or Asperger's. Maybe you find yourself in a wheelchair. Maybe you struggle with hearing or, or, or blindness. Maybe it's singleness for you. You desire to be married, but no matter what happens, your relationships seem to end. It causes pain in your life that feels chronic. Or maybe it's a relationship with a family member or a coworker that constantly brings pain into your life, a personality, a wiring, a lack of gifting. We, we all face chronic pain that doesn't go away, that shows up tomorrow whether we want it or not. So did Paul. And we all suffer. We all suffer every single day, and so here's the two questions we have to answer as Christians. And I think as we examine Paul's life, we will get the answers to these two questions. The first one, how do I suffer well? If suffering is a part of following Jesus as a Christ follower, how do I respond to suffering in a biblical way that honors God? How do I suffer well? And then secondly, how can I view suffering, pain, as worthwhile? How can I embrace my pain rather than running from it, trying to avoid it? How can I look at it and say, man, pain is actually worth it? So let's start with the first question. How do we suffer well? You see, in Romans 5, I think Paul actually gives us the answer. He's talking about how we can have hope and peace in all circumstances, how we can cling to these two things. And here's what he says to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 5. He says, we also glory in our sufferings. Now, now, you almost have to read that twice because you read it the first time and you're like, that, that, that must be a mistake. I must have read that wrong because it doesn't make sense. The word glory and the word suffering, you don't usually find in the same sentences. Like they're oxymorons, they're opposites. Like to, to, to glory and to revel in your suffering, Paul? Come on, dude. Maybe you had just a little bit too much to drink while you were writing this because it doesn't make sense. It's the opposite of what we do and how we live. But Paul says to actually suffer well, you have to learn as a follower of Jesus to glory, to revel, to be thankful for your suffering. So if that's true, I have two questions. How the heck do I do that and why the heck would I do that? So let's start with the how. And I think what Paul is getting at is just simply this. We need to learn to praise God in the storm and for the storm. We need to learn, we need to choose, we need to make a decision to praise God in and for the storm. And here's what I've learned about my life and many Christians' lives is I'm actually pretty good at praising God for the storm once it's gone. I'm pretty good at, at like looking at the pain that I experienced and, and once it's gone and once the circumstances have left, once the storm's over, I'm actually pretty good at saying, God, you know what? I'm thankful for that storm because it taught me a lot. I, don't get me wrong. I would never choose to actually walk through that storm, but I'm actually, now that it's over, God, I, I'm thankful for it because you did something in me that I wouldn't have chose for me. And we're pretty good at praising God for the storm. 
But what's hard is praising God in the midst of the storm. When you feel the pain, when the storm is raging all around you, it's dumping on you. When you feel like you can't handle it, the pain is too severe and the suffering gets real. Do you praise God then? That's what it means to actually glory in your suffering. To not just say, hey God, that was awesome. Glad you took that through me. I'm glad it's over. No, it's like when you're hurting, when you didn't expect that thing to happen, when you lose somebody you love, when the doctor diagnoses you with something you don't want to deal with, God, thank you. you know, we're in a season of Thanksgiving, right? Thursday, we're gonna stuff our faces full of turkey and all kinds of goodness. And I think, honestly, that's what Thanksgiving has become for us, for me. Is I'm thankful that I get to eat turkey and watch football. Go Cowboys, by the way, they play the Bills. <laughs> I'm not coming to church if they lose, I'm just saying it, okay? But I just don't think we understand true thanksgiving. Because I'm thankful for the things that feel good. I'm not thankful for the things that hurt and are painful. I'm not thankful for suffering. And Paul says, you know what? We got a glory in our suffering. How do you do that? You praise God in the storm and for the storm. Second question, why would you do that? Okay, I, I got how I can do it. But What's the why behind why I would do that? Paul actually answers that for you. He says this because, he says, hey, here's why. We know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, Paul says the reason why we can do that is because what the storms in life actually do in you and through you. He says, God uses it as a process in your life and that process of pain actually produces perseverance. And perseverance, when you persevere, when you endure, when you learn that ability, what it does is it shapes who you are. It builds your character. And when your character is built, it actually gives you hope no matter what storm you face. What's amazing to me in my life is I actually wish away the very tool that God uses to make me look like him. I think so many Christians do that. We, we spend so much time trying to avoid pain, trying to run away from the storm, trying to circle around it, and God is like, hey, I'm actually bringing this into your life to make you look more like me. Stop running from it. But yet we spend so much time doing that. We run from the tool that God's gonna use to make us more like him. You see, at Northridge Church, our, our mission is more and better. We say it a lot. I hope you know that, even as a regular attender, first-time guest. Like, we exist, our purpose is to make more, dis more disciples of Jesus Christ and better disciples of Jesus Christ. So we wanna reach people who, who are far from God, who don't know a lot about God, but 50% uh, of that is, is helping the people who know God to, to dig in deep and, and to know him better and to walk with him stronger to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with that journey. As many of us, we wanna be better followers of Jesus Christ. We just don't wanna have to experience pain to get where God wants us to go. And I believe that pain is actually one of the greatest agents of change that God uses. And if we would learn to embrace it and use it, God would actually change us. Because Paul says, hey, you wanna know why you can glory in your sufferings? Because storms in life produce maturity. They produce maturity in my life and your life. They make us a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Now, there's that word, uh, maturity. 
We like to toss that word around like a mature believer or mature follower of Jesus Christ. And here's how we've defined maturity when it comes to following Jesus, is we've defined it as knowledge. The more you know, the the more mature you are. The more you know about God, the more you know about his word, that, that, that equals maturity. And I think that's a, a pretty good part of the equation. Like there's some truth to that. But maturity isn't just knowing the information. It's allowing that information to change who you are and how you actually walk through the storm. I would actually define maturity as knowing who God is, understanding his word, and when the storm hits, still worshiping and enduring the storm. That's what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And so how do we suffer well? Paul says glory, revel, be thankful for your pain. Be thankful for the storm. Be thankful for your suffering. But then there's still a second question. How do I view suffering as worth it? How how do I look at suffering and, and almost embrace it rather than run from it? And I think Paul gives us three answers to that question. Three reasons why Paul believed suffering was worth it. The first one, for the reward. Paul realized that there was a reward that was greater than the storm he was facing. He had this ability to look past his suffering and focus on the reward ahead of him. He viewed it like this, short term suffering, long-term reward. Short-term suffering. So you look at Paul's life. We, we actually just looked at all of his suffering. The guy went through a lot. Like, I think we all can admit that. Like, no one would want to walk in Paul's shoes when it came to suffering. But Paul had this ability to view his suffering, to walk through it, to embrace it. Why? Because he knew it was temporary. He knew it, it was, it was going to cease. One day it would end. And because it was temporary, it became trivial to him. What's interesting about life and and, and many of us is when we suffer, it's like the biggest giant in the room. Like we make a massive deal of our suffering, don't we? Paul didn't. He was like, hey, this stinks, but it's gonna end. And my eyes aren't on my storm. My eyes are on the reward that's way ahead of me. And that's a perspective change that we need. In fact, look what he says in Romans chapter eight. He says this, now if we are children, So he's saying, hey, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of, of the Most High. He says, if that's true about you, then you're an heir. An heir of God, an heir of Jesus. That means you get an inheritance. You're gonna get a reward. Like, wow, sounds good. But he says, if, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. So Paul says, hey, if you're you're a child of God, you're going to get a prize. There's a reward waiting for you. If. I don't like that if, right? If you share in Christ's suffering, you also share in his reward. Look what Dr. Esau McCauley says. He says, when Paul wanted to encourage Christians, he did not say that their breakthrough was around the corner. He helped them make sense of their suffering in light of the coming reign of Christ. If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. So the first reason Paul viewed suffering as worthwhile is because the reward that was ahead of him. He kept his eyes on that, not his temporary suffering. The second reason why he thought suffering was worth it was for the result. Paul understood that pain brought change. And he actually looked looked forward to the result that God was going to produce in him through the storm. He understood that enduring pain can lead to great gain. 
When we walk through pain, when Paul walked through pain, he realized that God was up to something. He was producing something in him or through him that Paul didn't have the capacity to do. What's, what's crazy about pain is you think about the church, right? Do you realize that the church thrives under pain? The church has grown the most rapidly when it was persecuted. When the church experiences pain, it has a tendency to multiply, to grow, to stretch itself. I mean, Paul's life is a perfect example of this. He endured pain and suffering time in and time out. And guess what happened through his pain? The Jewish people and the Gentiles were reached. The church was born and it spread throughout the world. Tertullian says it like this. This is a really powerful quote. It says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Think about this for a second. The blood, the sacrifice of Christians laying their life on the line, that's the seed of the church. It started with Jesus, his blood, uh, that blood-stained cross where he sacrificed and gave up his life for us and we follow that example and so we continuously put our lives on the line for the sake of the gospel because that's where, what breeds the church, that's what grows the church. And here's what's so fascinating and and incredible about suffering. See, we all suffer. And I, I just believe this, that our suffering can be a huge testimony to people far from God. Because when people far from God watch Christians suffer, it's almost like they wait on us to give up on God. It's like, okay, now here's the real test. Let's see if they actually worship God when the doctor says this. Let's see if they actually worship God when they lose that. Let's see if their faith was actually real and if their God is worth following. And what's amazing is is one of our greatest testimonies is when we deal with with life's circumstances and the pain and the suffering. Man, what does it say to people far from God when we go through turmoil and tribulations and hard times and we still have our hands in the air saying, God is good all the time? What does that say about our God? Man, he's worth following no matter what. And let let me tell you who catches on to that. That's people who are watching you, waiting for you to give up on God. Paul says, hey, suffering is worthwhile because of the reward. Secondly, because of the result it does. And then third, for the reminder. You see, pain was a great reminder for Paul of his ultimate need. And it's our reminder for our ultimate need. Because when Paul felt pain or when he suffered, it revealed his weakness. And in his weakness, it produced dependence. You see, when you and I suffer, it reveals to us our weakness. No one likes to admit that they're weak, but the truth is, is we are all weak in certain areas. And when we deal with pain, it reminds us, it reveals our weakness. Maybe it's our children today. Maybe it's our circumstances. I don't know what your weakness is, but it reveals that. And here's what's amazing about Paul is when he felt his weakness, what he, it didn't cause him to like try to be stronger. It didn't, try to, it didn't produce in him something to try to make him wiser. No, his weakness produced a dependence, a dependence on the one who was mighty, who is strong, who is wise, that it's God. Paul realized through his suffering that he was in desperate need. He needed to be dependent on God. This is what he says. He says these words. These are some of my favorite words of Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 12, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I will glory in my suffering so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight. I take joy in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecution and in difficulty. Why? Because for when I am weak, then I am strong. Pain for Paul was a reminder of his dependence on God, that he couldn't do it on his own. And may it be a reminder every time we feel pain today that we are in desperate need of God. Without him, we are absolutely nothing. And this fleshes out two ways for believers and non-believers. For the believers today, what, what pain does is it, it, keeps us, it keeps us humble. It keeps us from being proud or, or thinking, wow, look what I did, or taking credit for only what God can do. I mean, you look at Paul's life, he even says it in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited or proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. See, Paul viewed his pain as a reminder to stay humble because if there was any guy who thought they did something, it could have been Paul. Like, look at all he accomplished. Look at all what he went through and it would have been easy for his head to swell a little bit. Man, like, man, God, I'm not sure you could have done it without me. The pain in his life, the constant pain, the chronic pain in his life reminded him that he needed to be on his knees before a God who was capable because he wasn't. And I don't know about you, but I need that reminder regularly that I'm nothing without God. But then secondly, for those of you who don't believe in Jesus, you're here today and, and, and you're checking out church and Jesus and one, thank, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. And, and I think that the weakest place anybody finds themselves is at the realization that we're all sinners. And the reason why that creates weakness in us is because out of our sin, it separates us from God. Our relationship with God can't be fixed unless there's a solution to our sin. And here's why we're weak, we can't fix it. We're not strong enough, we're not good enough, we're not mighty enough, and out of that weakness, it makes us dependent on Jesus who actually was perfect in our place, who died and rose again to give us victory over that. And in pain, if you don't believe in Jesus, it should be a constant reminder of your need for God in your life. Because there is a problem, there is a suffering that you won't be able to fix, but only through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says his grace on that cross is sufficient for you and for me. Look what Dr. Esau McCauley says. I love this. He says, sometimes the breakthrough doesn't come. So sometimes the suffering doesn't go away. He says, Christians get sick and die. We lose the job and we don't get a better one. The resurrection and the transformation of all things remain our hope. Not the victory over the haters, but the victory over death that only Jesus can give us. So how do we suffer well? We glory in it. We're thankful in the storm and for the storm. And we see what God is producing in us. Paul says, glory in your suffering. He says, his grace is sufficient for you. Another New Testament author, his name is James. This is what he actually says about suffering. He says, you, me, we should consider it pure joy when we face trials and tribulations. When we suffer, James says, oh, you should be joyous. It should be great for you because what God does in you and through you in the midst of that. So my question for all of us today is what does that look like? 
I get we're supposed to suffer well. I get that, man, I should view, I should embrace my suffering. But what does that look like from day to day? What does that mean for my life right now? How do tomorrow I wake up and suffer well? How do in a month from now, what does that practically look like for my life? And I want to give you two responses to suffering that you deal with. The first type of suffering that we talked about is, is chronic suffering. I get it. Some of you tomorrow, you're going to wake up and the pain will be there. That disability is going to be there. That constant reminder that you don't measure up that causes pain in your life is going to be there. Your singleness is going to be there. And it causes you pain day in and day out, year after year. What do you do? What do you respond? How do you respond? How do you suffer well tomorrow? And I think we need to learn just a, a really powerful phrase that I believe Paul, he might not have used this exact phrase, but his life declared it. That when you feel that pain, you just simply say four words, Lord, I need you. God, I, I can't handle this pain. I'm not strong enough, I'm not mighty enough, and I can't do it without you. And those four words are a desperate cry out of dependence for God. God, I'm weak, but in the midst of my weakness, your word says that you'll be my strength, that you'll carry me on, that you'll continue the work in me until completion. And so God, I am under pain, I'm under duress, I'm tired of the chronic pain that I deal with, and I'm just simply crying out, I can't do it without you. Man, what would my life look like and what would your life look like if we just, in our weakness, we allowed God to be our strength? You know how you do that? You get on your knees and you just cry out to God in desperation, I need you, Lord. See, I think the problem is, is I don't think we really think we need God. I mean, we, we say we do, like we use the Christian language, like, oh, God, I need you. Yes, oh, I need you. We sing the songs. But sometimes I wonder if we're actually desperate enough for God. Do we really believe we need him in all circumstances and everything we face? What if a practice was simply just to say every morning, God, I need you. Can't do it without you. So I'm just declaring my dependence on you, God. Lord, I need you. But what about the circumstantial pain? And I think circumstantial pain is oftentimes harder to deal with because you can't plan for it. You don't know it's gonna show up tomorrow. It just hits you like a ton of bricks. The circumstantial pain where you, during the holidays, lose somebody you love and, and they look completely different. The, the, the doctor's visit that was just a normal checkup and it led to a diagnosis. The things that you, you can't put on your calendar, but they just crush you. They cause grief in your life and they almost tear your faith apart. What is our response to those things? And when you look at Paul's life, we spent eight weeks studying it. And one thing I love about Paul is we just saw all that he dealt with. 
We saw his suffering, and I think his life was a declaration no matter what he faced, no matter what circumstances he walked through. He just simply lived this statement out. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. You know, one of the hardest things as a Christ follower is to believe that statement. To believe that no matter what you deal with, God is good. In fact, it's where my message started. We, we sang those words, you are good, good. But I wonder how many of us actually believe them. We believe those words because whether we wanna admit it or not, oftentimes our feelings dictate our theology, what we believe about God. And then, we, we have trouble reconciling that statement because it certainly doesn't feel like God is good when I have a miscarriage. It, it certainly doesn't feel good when I wanna celebrate the holidays and all I am is reminded that my dad or my mom is no longer there or my grandpa or my son or daughter. You reconcile to me that God is good in that moment. You wanna say God is good? Well, I can't have a baby right now, and that's all I want. How is God good then? How is God good in the midst of cancer at 30 years old? I've got a family to take care of. Oh, right, God is good. But Paul, above anything else, he walked through turmoil and tribulation and pain, and he declared not with his emotions, not with his feelings, but with his life, he screamed out loud, no matter what I face, the truth is, is my God is good. And today we have to believe that truth. And so what better way to, to, to really wind down an eight-week series than to declare what Paul did? And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, whether you're watching online or you're at one of our campuses, I would ask you right now to stand with me, to get on your feet, and here's what we're gonna do is we're gonna sing those words that we started with, just three simple words, God is good. And I know for some of you today, it's gonna to be hard to sing those. There might be tears that roll down your face because of what you're facing. There might be pain that you're reminded of this holiday season, but let's, as the church, declare the truth together that no matter what we face, our God is good. So let's sing together.